Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. Thanks for joining us today. We know there's a lot going on for all of us right now in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic. Whether you're doing your job from home or you've lost your job, you're homeschooling your kids all of a sudden, or you're just completely fed up with social distancing. We're all trying to figure out when life gets back to normal, and many of us are starting to know someone who's gotten sick or worse. So how are you handling this new normal that no one saw coming? If you're like us, you have questions about this whole situation. And we don't just mean about the science of it or when you should wash your hands. We mean the nuts and bolts, day in, day out adjustments to what can feel really disruptive at best. We're talking about all of that today with clinical psychologist, Seth Gillihan. Dr. Gillihan is the host of the Think, Act, Be podcast. He's the author of several books, including The CBT Deck, Retrain Your Brain, and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Made Simple. You've heard him on Health Now before. He also blogs for WebMD about mental health, including issues related to the coronavirus pandemic. Dr. Gillihan, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again today. Well, thank you, Carrie. I'm always happy to talk with you. And we talked with you about the coronavirus pandemic just a couple of weeks ago, but it seems like so much has changed in that relatively short amount of time. Doesn't I think it? it was it was even not, I think the last time we spoke, it wasn't officially a pandemic yet, but um, that's just a sign of how different things are now. But I just wanted to ask how you and your family are doing amidst all these changes. Well, I appreciate your asking. Yeah, it does seem like a, I mean, two weeks and certainly a month ago seems like a lifetime ago. But thankfully, we're, I mean, we're doing as well as, I mean, really better than I can, could, could even hope for at this point with, uh, you know, with all the changes and all the, the sickness and the deaths that we see around us. So, uh, you know, it's, it's my wife and I and our three school-aged kids. And, oh, uh, yeah. Yes, you, have, you have a lot going on. <laughs> we do. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a full house and I, and there are certainly times when that's, when that's difficult. Um, but I, I try to remember at those times that I'd rather have all of us here than, than have to be separated with, with one of us in the hospital or something. That's true. Uh, well, I'm glad to hear that everything is going as well as can be um, right now. Um, I have to say the speed of this crisis is one of the most remarkable things about it. You know, life has completely changed for most people in the space of just a few weeks. Um, Do you think that that rapid change has really impacted the emotional toll of this experience for many people? Yeah, I'm sure it has. I mean, it's, it's felt a bit like, like trying to, to drink from a fire hose. In that's that there's true. Just, yeah, so much coming at us at once, and and change is never easy, especially when when we're not uh, thrilled with the changes. But I mean, even even positive changes would be difficult. But but yeah, just the the pace of them and and the the breadth, just that you know, it's it's we've all had to stay home, you know, for for you know a day or a few days with a sickness or something. But this kind of you know, really the whole whole sections of of our lives and our economy grinding to a halt i don't think any of us have even imagined that kind of thing and only ever you know picture them in in things like you know these dystopian movies that everyone is comparing the situation to that's true it feels like something that you would never have even 
think would happen in your lifetime, but here we are, I guess. Here we are. Yeah. And so many of the, of the things we would normally use and do to cope with something like this aren't available to us, like reaching out to, you know, to friends, getting together with people, going out for drinks. Those kinds of things are just not, not allowed. Uh, and or even, you know, going to the gym isn't possible. So I think we're having to be creative in finding ways to deal with, with, uh, with life that's so different from what we imagined. And I think the scale, I want to talk about the, the scale of this and the, you know, we're hearing some pretty grim predictions about just how um, dangerous this pandemic is going to be. We've yeah. heard that, you know, many thousands of people may die. Um, though most people who get COVID-19, we have to say, don't have serious complications like that. We've talked about the grief of losing a loved one before on this podcast, but is it different when you're confronting um, this on such a huge scale like this? I think it is. I, I think it's just, it's, it's so much to take in at once. I mean, hearing about, I mean, now, you know, as, as things accelerate, we're hearing about more and more people whose names we recognize who have been infected. You know, at first it was these kind of isolated cases, you know, was, oh, is this, this basketball player and, oh, Tom Hanks. Um, but, but since then, you know, it's been more and more people, one of my favorite um, uh, guitar players and, and singers, John Prine, uh, he was someone who's, whose music has been a lot to me, you know, for, for years and, and as it has to so many people. And so, and that's just, I mean, those are just, you know, famous people. And then, and then we're hearing about, you know, so many of us are being affected more, uh, more closely, either ourselves or people that we care about or neighbors or friends or, or family members in distant places. And so, yeah, I think it is just, it's, it, our, our minds and our nervous systems need time to process things that happen. And when, when they keep happening over and over, I think it's, uh, we, it's easy to get overwhelmed. And especially when, when things are happening kind of uh, one after another, like in, in sequence. So it's harder when bad things happen if they're a little bit spaced out. So if they're, they're close together, that's difficult. But if, they're, if it's, it's kind of like if you imagine losing $10 versus losing $5 twice, mm. you know, there's, there's each, each insult kind of adds to the feeling of loss when they're when they're separated in that way and so i think this i think it, it is um it's more than we're than we're accustomed to handling all at once you recently wrote a blog for webmd that put a name to the emotional burden that so many people are feeling right now and it was grief i was surprised to see that word as a description for people who haven't lost their job or they haven't lost a loved one because of this pandemic because I wouldn't think that, you know, grief would be the specific emotion you would be feeling. But as I read what you said, it made so much sense. Um, can you describe for us why grief is something many people are feeling right now, even if they don't know someone who has died in this pandemic? Well, to be honest, Carrie, I was reluctant to call it grief. I think because of my own sort of self-consciousness about, you know, feeling feeling the loss 
of so much of life as we know it, when in truth, life, my life now is still very good. Like, you know, as I was saying in the beginning, uh, I haven't been terribly affected by this outside of, of all the, the strangeness in, in how shut down our lives are. But my uh, editor at WebMD, Kim Richardson, was very helpful in helping me to kind of get over that and, and, and to acknowledge that, that the grief we feel is real because grief can be about any, any loss that we experience. And, and there is so much that's been lost through this time. I mean, not, not just, uh, I, I think I sort of, I felt uh, like my own, the things that I had lost seemed small in comparison to, you know, losing a loved one or, or losing our health. You know, was, I was making fun of myself in my brain, like, oh, I can't go to the gym. Like, oh, poor me. But, I know. <laughs> right. And, and, and I, do, I do feel that on some level that, you know, I, I don't want to be overly, uh, I don't want to feel sorry for myself for those kinds of losses. But, but it does go beyond that because it's not just these, you know, little little things in our schedule or we can't get all the vegetables we're used to, but it's, um, you know, a, a sense of security that we used to take for granted is lost or, um, you know, the, the, the close connections that so many of us depend on or, or just the ability to, to move or move about freely, you know, that, that, that feeling of autonomy and agency that we have, I think is, is, has has been and not completely taken away but but definitely diminished during this time so so i think it's on the one hand i think we can feel grateful that that we do have everything that we still have in life and and that we have life at all we have our breath and still you know allow ourselves to mourn those parts of life that are no longer available to us right and i think on top of grief, uh, you yourself even alluded to that people may be feeling guilty for, um, you know, being uh, sad about, you know, their, like you were saying, like not being able to go to the gym or the loss of their routine um, on top of, you know, just uh, the guilt on top of feeling the grief, I think is, is um, a unique uh, feeling for a lot of people. No, I think you're right. And it can lead us to not really make space for what we're feeling. I think at these times, maybe as much as anything else, we need to just allow ourselves to to have the experience that we're having, to let our emotions be as rich and complicated as they are. And and that includes, you know, letting ourselves, if we feel joy, let ourselves feel joy at those times. We don't have to feel guilty that we're not always down in the dumps. It's such a difficult time for so many people because, I mean, God knows when when those who are suffering now are feeling well, we want them to rejoice too. Right. That's important to remember that it's, it's still okay to feel happiness and joy when it comes. Mm. Um, there's so much uncertainty in everyday life right now. You know, a lot of people have lost their jobs. Parents and kids are wondering if they're doing distance learning right, because um, <laughs> that's certainly important <laughs> yeah. when your kids are in school. You know, you don't know when you're going to be able to see your friends and family again. You don't even know, in many cases, if you'll be able to find toilet paper when you go to the store. Talk to us about the impact that uncertainty like that has on mental health and what people can do to deal with it right now. 
Well, anxiety is the most common type of uh, psychological struggle, and and it's really driven by uncertainty about things that we care about. So, it it feels to me like like what this crisis has done is stripped away uh, the illusion that we had more certainty in this life than we knew, because this kind of thing was always a possibility. And you know, if you listen to the experts, if we'd paid attention. To them, they were predicting that it wasn't just a possibility. It was, I mean, there, there, there was certainty on some level that this kind of thing would happen in the relatively near future. So, you know, with with all that uncertainty, I think the the best we can do is to open to it and to recognize that this is this has really always been the state of things that our lives have always existed on on a bit of a tightrope. It's just we would like to pretend that they don't. But rather than making that a problem, which it, it certainly feels like it at times when things feel so un, uh, unstable and you know, it feels like we could fall over at any moment. And, uh, and to let that uncertainty be what it is, to embrace it even. Because I mean, that's, I'm saying all this as though it's easy, but I, I, uh, Someone asked me recently, I described some of the anxiety that I was dealing with through this time. And he said, oh, uh, are you finding that the, the theories and things you write about are much harder when it actually comes to, to using them in real life? And he said, well, actually, I mean, all the, the things that I write about now, or I mean, so many of them are just based in uh, you know, things that I've been through myself and, and ways I've been forced to you know, develop ways of, uh, of coping and of, um, of dealing with that ultimate uncertainty that all of us face. So, um, so yeah, I think there are, I think we just, we have, we have an opportunity here to practice living with a kind of uh, raw uncertainty that, that maybe uh, we can carry with us when, when things hopefully uh, are a little more settled. Have you been finding that um, you've been seeing more people want who who reach out in need of of therapy or or to talk to someone? Whether obviously you can't meet in person, but you know through online services. Well, you know, I I think I would be if if I were um, able to uh, take new patients at this point. But, but since I I uh, advertise that I I don't have space to, I'm not getting those kinds of requests. But what I am I've just been bowled over to see the number of, uh, of people who are signing up for, um, I have a, um, an electronic guide uh, on managing stress and anxiety every day. And, and the numbers of uh, you know, the, the emails that I'm getting and notifications that someone has signed up and all the names, you know, I, I look at each name and I think, you know, this is someone who is, dealing with the stress and anxiety that all of us are dealing with and is looking for for something is reaching out because we all need help at these times and just you know the the hundreds of those notifications and uh and you know and, I, and i'm in touch with a lot of those individuals um through you know whether they end up taking an online course with me or you know just responding to my newsletter and yeah number one i think right now people what people really are craving is you know, some sense of stability and 
and calm in the middle of this storm. Certainly, um, considering, you know, the ground seems to be shifting beneath our feet pretty much every day. So I can understand yeah. how that would be. Let's talk about what doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers are dealing with emotionally since they're, you know, the front lines of this crisis, as we often hear. Um, this, it's often, you know, portrayed as sort of a stoic profession. You know, they, we can handle anything that comes our way. Um, but this is unlike what anyone in that field has experienced, even if you've been practicing for many years. What can help them when they're dealing with this day in and day out? And I would extend that also to, to their families who are worried about them as they do their jobs to keep all of us safe. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, this is something I think about a lot, Carrie, because my, um, my youngest brother is, um, you can probably tell I feel a lot of emotion. Certainly. Um, but he's in his, uh, the first year of his residency, he's an, an intern at, at NYU's hospital. And, you know, he's, um, he's my baby brother. He's about 15 years younger than I am. And, um, you know, he and I talk about this and, you know, what, what he's facing and what, uh, what doctors are facing uh, in New York and elsewhere and, and some of the challenges. And, you know, I, I think what's clear to him, what's clear to me in talking with him is that, you know, everyone is facing this as a human. And I think, you know, for, for better and for worse, I think we've, we've put uh, physicians on a pedestal and, you know, idolize them on the one hand, but also maybe dehumanize them in a way at the same time. And, and I mean, evidence of that, it, you know, you see in things like the, you know, quite apart from this, the high you know, burnout and suicide rates among doctors. And so I think there's, there may be a temptation to, to do that here to, to see, uh, these these dedicated women and men as as somehow being above the fray or something or or you know on the darker side of it maybe not needing the kinds of essential protections that they do need and so I, along those lines I think the the best that uh, that doctors can do is probably the best that any of us can do which is you know what my um, brother Charlie Gillahan describes as things like um, reaching out to others, you know, talking with, with supportive people, um, you know, just, just like any of us would through a challenging time. Um, I mean, hopefully, you know, having a, a, an administration that is supportive of doctors' needs and you know, including the need you know, for a break at times, although obviously that's, I mean, Doctors are quite hard pressed at this time to to find right. any time off. Um, meditation and mindfulness practices can certainly be helpful, and you know any any regular practice um, for for you know calming the mind and quieting anxieties and worries can be helpful, and uh, and and that goes for for those of us who who love doctors too, you know who who uh, have doctors and 
in the family or, or as close friends. Um, and, and maybe we can um, you know, reach out to them as much as we can at this time too and see what, what we can do to be supportive. Certainly. Um, well, we certainly wish all the best to your brother. I know he's, this is a really challenging time for, for him and for your family. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. I, until you asked, I don't uh, feel like I had quite acknowledged, uh, quite acknowledged all the emotion behind it for me. Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's the funny thing about this is it just sort of comes up at times when you're, you know, it's easy to like absorb the information and the facts of, you know, the reality of the situation, but I don't, you know, processing it is a different, a different thing altogether. Yes. I want to talk a little bit about something that's affecting everyone uh, right now, and that is social isolation or social distancing, um, certainly a term that all of us are becoming more familiar with than we'd ever wanted to, probably. Um, and while it's, of course, we should say it's absolutely the right thing to do for health's sake, uh, loneliness is a real risk for many people right now, especially those who live alone and can't go out and about as they normally would. Um, what is your advice for people who are really struggling with this aspect of uh, this uh, pandemic? Yeah, well, you know, as I was suggesting earlier, I think you know, making, making room for those experiences and just acknowledging that, yeah, this is, this is a lonely time. I mean, even for those of us who live with people, you know, we're, we're, we don't have access to the same types of connections and supports that, uh, that we usually do. And, and, you know, electronic communication is great. I mean, it's better than nothing usually, but, uh, but it's not the same as being able to you know, em embrace someone or, or, or at least just see them in three dimensions. Uh, so I think you know, starting there and then, you know, keeping, um, keeping in touch with people as much as possible and not allowing what we or not able to do to keep us from doing what we can do. Uh, so, um, I mean, I think a lot of us are uh, struggling not just with anxiety, but with low mood during this time. And that can lead us to, to isolate even more, to you know, not respond to texts or not you know, reach out um, to people to initiate communication. So, uh, you know, just making a, making contact with people we care about just part of our routine, building it into our schedule, having some accountability so that people are expecting to hear from us and, and, and we're expecting to hear from them. And, and so we can, can keep each other as well as possible so that when this does lift, we're not in a, a deeper hole than we have to be to, to uh, you know, come out of. Right. It seems like, you know, making the time just to, you know, schedule time to talk with someone else and talk about things that are not related to this crisis at all could make a big difference, kind of inject a little bit of normalcy into everyday life. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it's challenging, especially when there, there, there's, there's so few activities that are happening in our lives. I know I struggle sometimes, you know, I sit down for lunch or dinner or breakfast for that matter with my wife. And it's like, Hmm, what should I talk about? It's pretty much like, <laughs> do I want to talk about, you know, the latest updates on coronavirus? Surely there's something else going on now. What did we used to talk about? 
what have we not covered in the last several days? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Yes. Yeah, we pretty much know, you know, what's going on in each other's lives for the most part. But, but yeah, I think if we can find, find something to, to, uh, to talk about at least momentarily, that's not related to COVID-19, I think that's a good thing. Right. Um, even like, you know, there's like Netflix has a party app where you can watch movies or TV with other people. And there's games that you can play online with friends, like card games. I, I think there's, there's a lot of really cool, um, you know, technology opportunities out there where you can sort of do normal things, even if you're not in the same room as you would have done them in the past. But Yeah, I love those ideas. And I think there is something really life-giving about a live connection, even if it's over the internet. So I, I do a lot of um, online yoga videos. Uh, mm -hmm. My wife and I often do one in the evening, uh, like a bedtime yoga type of thing. Uh, but she recently, um, someone sent her a link for, uh, I think it was through Facebook, someone was doing live uh, yoga classes. And, and she said, it's just such a different experience knowing that your instructor is you know, is, is leading a group live. So, so yes, I think reaching out for those kinds of things. I, I actually started doing a few weeks ago, uh, some live um, group uh, silent meditations through YouTube live. Oh, for, interesting. Yeah, similar reason, you know, just to, it's one thing to do it when it's, when it's been recorded, but doing it in real time, there's something that feels more, more connected about that. Right, because I mean, silent meditation is obviously something you can do on your own, but doing it with, you know, just the act of joining other people for the experience. That's very interesting. Yeah, I found it to be a, a pretty profound experience just knowing that we're breathing together. Right. Somebody, a group of people doing something at the same time. Yes. Hmm. Um, along with people who are, you know, struggling with the social distancing or with, you know, grief, anxiety. Many of us are just straight up disappointed about things that we've had to miss out on because of this pandemic. You know, people have had to cancel their weddings, graduations are canceled, uh, teenagers are missing their proms, you know, vacations have, have been canceled. Um, some people, like we were mentioning before, might even feel guilty about being sad about something like that right now when there's a lot of other more serious things going on. What are some ways that people can handle that kind of disappointment? Mm. Yeah, those things are so disappointing. I mean, I think about you know, the Olympic athletes, the Summer right. Olympics, and you know, you train for, for four years and then, and then you have to take a rain check, so to speak. Um, yeah, I think, you know, of course, acknowledge that it's, I mean, these are real disappointments. I mean, even if it was something as quote unquote small as a vacation, you know, these are things that we look forward to. And you know, we can grieve things even if they haven't happened. You know, this, this sort of, uh, you know, aborted plans. It's, it's difficult. You, you look forward to something for a long time and, and you imagine what it's going to be like and you, maybe you're saving your money for it and you're blocking off your schedule. And, you know, if it's a, a wedding, You've got maybe hundreds of guests who are planning to come and, and the enormous amount of work that's gone into planning it. So, you know, acknowledge that it's disappointing. And then, you know, as, as much as possible at some point, 
you know, keep in mind that this, whatever it is, whatever happened, will become part of the story of your life, part of what happened. And, and that everything else that we plan and imagine and anticipate is kind of a story that we've created. And I know for myself, even when I watch sports, I'll kind of have this idea of like, well, this is how it should go. Like that guy should catch that pass and then has an open field and should score a touchdown. So we should be up by four points. But if the person drops the pass, it's not like, it's not like they've somehow violated reality. It's just that, that reality and my forecast were not the same thing in reality. It turned out was more real than my prediction. So this is not at all to, um, to be glib about these kinds of things, but, but just to be real about them. That again, what's happening now reveals that the things that we, that we plan are just that, they're plans. And then life may or may not you know, coincide with, uh, with what we had anticipated. So, so maybe taking a, a broader view in that way and, and remembering that our life isn't, it's not only about what happens to us, but it's about how we responded to it. And there's some saying, I forget exactly what it is, something about how there, there are no, there are no bad outcomes, just good stories or something. I mean, that's. Yeah, I think I've heard that too. That does seem pretty apt. <laughs> yes. Right and, and obviously, I mean, again, that's not to, uh, not to dismiss I mean, there are really you know, bad things that happen, but, uh, but within the scope of disappointments, uh, there, there are some that just end up being good stories. So, so yeah, but tough times for so many things that you, know, you realize like, oh, wow, gosh. So that, you know, 50th wedding anniversary celebrations, family reunions, mm -hmm. uh, you know, probably, I mean, just statistically speaking, no doubt for some people, you know, they'll miss out on the last opportunity to see a, an aging family member just because of the events right. that, that transpire in between. So, yeah. Yeah. To that, I mean, but you know, you never know about, you know, if people will find ways to um, make these events happen somehow uh, through the power of technology. We'll just have to see, you know, people are, you know, exchanging vows you know, virtually over Skype or things like that. Um, you know, I was planning to run a 5K with some family members in a couple of weeks. That's obviously canceled, but they're doing, the event has moved it to be a virtual 5K, which I thought was interesting. So we can, everyone can still participate just, you know, walking wherever they are. That's great. Now, Carrie, I'm curious, I've heard about these, these wedding vows being exchanged online. That I, I've always assumed that, that both, uh, halves of the couple are in the same place and that people are tuning in through the internet or is this other people who are actually married who are not in the same location? You know, I think I've heard of it both ways. Um, and I've, I've, I've read a few stories that have the details have disappeared in the haze of all the other yeah. news that I've read, but I think I've heard, you know, people who are not in the same room as the officiant, uh, but you know, the couple is together and I've heard it that they've, done it in different locations as well so wow i wonder how yeah. the, how the honeymoon works in that case <laughs> <laughs> probably just a very delayed <laughs> a honeymoon that's tbd i guess yes yeah yeah <laughs> i want to also talk about the relationships that you have with the people that you're 
with at home. And that is now all the time that you are around these people. Your <laughs> is partner, that right? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> don't know if that's affecting you necessarily, but, you know, partners, kids, parents, or roommates, you know, uh, for some people, what are some ways to deal with or to minimize the tension or conflict that will inevitably arise for, for a lot of us? It's a lot of togetherness and that can sometimes be a bumpy ride. Yes. I've, I found having the kids here all the time is great except when it's not right which is <laughs> which yeah, yeah i, no, I can confirm that's 100% true <laughs> yeah cuz there are there are these things that that you just kind of take for granted like you know doing doing a podcast interview and you know normally you know it's it's easy to schedule cuz i i generally work from home uh, so there are hours when all the kids are at school which they're they're never at school. Well, they're always at school now, I guess. They're always at their home school. So, um, I mean, as much as possible, you know, having some, uh, some time apart can be helpful. You know, maybe uh, if, if you have kids, you know, if, uh, if there's another responsible person in the house, if uh, each, each of the adults can get out and go for a walk on their own. Um, or, you know, I often end up with, because uh, I get up quite early in the morning, uh, you know, having some some early morning time or evening time uh, to you know to oneself or or just you know away from the uh, you know constant uh, presence of of kids if one has kids in the house. Um, so I, I mean, it's parts of the challenge I think are just unavoidable. It's hard when you know, you don't live in a huge house. And, um, but I, I think if we recognize that we're all kind of in the same situation and you know, think of ways we can be helpful to the other person and, uh, you know, like it, you know, in, in my own situation, I decided to uh, you know, create a new online course during this time for people who are dealing with anxiety and, and stress. And that involves filming. Which ah, yes. means not only uh, you know needing a, a specific place, which in our house ends up being you know one one room. It's uh, part of our dining room because of the the lighting and and the angle and everything. And and that's obviously central to the house. That's also our our one room schoolhouse right there. So right, uh, you know, it's uh, I've had to rely on my wife being very. Uh, helpful in getting the kids out of the house, which sometimes means just going for a drive with them because normally you'd go to the library or something mm -hmm. during this during this time so uh, so yeah, I think granting each other as much as much grace as possible, um, being as forgiving as possible, letting little things go because oh my goodness what a what an unpleasant situation to be in and kind of pressure cooker if there's a lot of of tension between uh, parties in the house. Right. Uh, you yeah. start to notice the little things a lot more when you're <laughs> seeing them all the time. Yes. Yes, for sure. So, you know, maybe it's not the best time to work on, on deep issues in, in a couple's relationship, but, but it could be an opportunity to, uh, to come close in other ways. There's a way in which this feels, this is going to sound weird to say, so I'll have to explain quickly, but 
it feels a bit like being on vacation, being here with, with everyone. And what I mean is we're all in this, I mean, even though it's, it's our home, it's a foreign situation to be in. And, and I always find when we travel, it, it's stressful on the one hand, even when our family travels together, but, but there's also a, a way of coming together that I think is because we're out of our element. And so it, we're kind of naturally inclined unconsciously to turn toward each other. And so there's definitely been a lot of that that I've, that I've found. I mean, the kids are at each other's throats at times, but maybe no more than usual because there also is just so much closeness and camaraderie that they seem to be sharing. It's really, really quite touching as a parent to see. Yeah, I have to say, I think um, from my own experience, it seems like, you know, there, there have been a lot of um, positives, even though things have been difficult at times, you know, I think we'll end up remembering, uh, you know, sort of the, the good aspects of this experience, you know, when we look back at this time uh, down the road. So, yeah, yeah, there's so many opportunities for tenderness. And just this morning, gosh, this was probably, I don't know, quarter after five or so this morning, and I was up writing, and, and uh, our youngest, our five-year-old, uh, I heard her crying, and by the time I got upstairs, her older sister in the bunk above, our nine-year-old, was, was trying to you know, be helpful to her. She'd had a, a bad dream, uh, oh. not, probably not coincidentally about, she said, Daddy, I had a dream that, that Mommy looked outside and said she could see sickness. Oh, I know. So these, you know, just a, she, she's not telling us, of course, like I'm, I'm nervous about what's going on, but, but, you know, you get these signs that, that even your young kids are, you know, they're, they're taking in things around them and absorbing that this is a, this is a very odd time. It is. That's for sure. Affecting everybody in a lot of different ways of all yeah, ages, clearly. Yeah. Gosh, we've all seen pictures of people or maybe even had personal contact with people who aren't exactly following the stay at home or social distancing guidelines. Um, what is it in us in general that lets us want to sort of make exceptions for ourselves? Um, you know, that's not a risk for me. It's not going to happen to me. Um, or is that just human nature or immaturity or, or what? Well, I mean, I think there are you know, different reasons for different people, but I, I think it comes down to the types of beliefs that we have. I think that's, that ends up being the, the kind of uh, the nearest cause of, of what we do. But, you know, we can get there in different ways. I, I think for, for some people, they may be quite afraid, but to, it's sort of like avoiding going to the doctor because you're afraid you might be sick. And so I think some people may be avoiding allowing themselves to recognize the danger and act accordingly because to do so would, would be overwhelming and terrifying to them. But I think there are others who, you know, maybe because of their age or their personality, just don't don't imagine this is something for them to be concerned about. And they, uh, you know, take statements like 80% of cases are mild. They think like, okay, nothing to worry about, or this only affects old people. And I'm a young person, which is always puzzling to me because I think all of us probably care about at least one old person in our life. Right. <laughs> and, and also, you know, it just turns out it's not exactly true that uh, this can be uh, bad for young people too, just to, uh, you know, lower 
uh, lower probabilities. Right. So, so yeah, different reasons. Maybe you know selfishness may be a big part of it for some people, but uh, you know, I think for for a lot of us. And and you know, to be honest with you, Carrie, when this when this all you know is becoming more um, more of a story, maybe a month ago or so. So this is probably around like first week of March. I still had the idea like. Uh, well, you know, this is maybe not that different from flu and, uh, you know, need to just wash our hands and, and carry on. And then it was around that, that tipping point and it's around 11th or 12th of March. And it seems like, like most of the country realized like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, this is a real thing. Actually, I remember I was listening to a podcast by Sam Harris. He was interviewing an epidemiologist and, and I realized like, oh, wait a second. I was on my way to the gym and I thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't be going to the gym and, and definitely shouldn't be touching people. And so if we're not afraid of it, I think it's it's easy for us to kind of reason backwards from there. Well, I'm not nervous, so it must not be dangerous. But you know, there's this, uh, this line, I'm sure people have heard, you know, reality doesn't care about your feelings. And if you're not, right. <laughs> if you're not worried, it doesn't change the reality of the virus. That's true. And even if you're not worried for yourself, then, you know, you can think about the risk that uh, it might pose for others that you are worried about and do care about. So. Yeah. I, th- I think people say things like, well, but I'm, I haven't been exposed and I'm not going to be around anyone who's been exposed, but it, it really, it's very similar to, you know, back in the, uh, like 80s and 90s, the question of unprotected sex. And you might say, well, I, you know, I'm, uh, I don't carry any diseases and you know, people that I uh, am with or have been with don't. But then you have to know like, well, who, who, is, who have they been with? And who has that person been with? And who has everyone been with? And, you know, unless you can know that really you're not going to come in contact with, with anyone, it seems like it makes sense to follow the guidelines. Certainly. That's very true. Um, my last question for you is, um, you know, we're all in this moment where we've had to step away from our regular lives. And it sounds like this is going to be our reality for at least, you know, the next several weeks, um, maybe even longer than that. Is there anything to say about how we might think about using this time to rethink our regular lives or work toward personal goals. Um, You know, kind of what we were talking about earlier about trying to maybe get something positive out of this situation that we find ourselves in. Yes, I definitely think there is. And I think if we can, can channel the energy that we have, you know, that, that anxious energy or that feeling of being cooped up toward some kind of creativity toward you know, expressing uh, something that, that's important to us or pursuing something that we haven't had the, the time or the space to do. You know, I'm sure there are countless books that, that you know, people have had in mind uh, that have been put on hold. And, and any of our experience can provide a kind of grist for the mill. So, so yes, I, you know, it actually comes to mind, Carrie, as one of those those montages from like a Sylvester Stallone movie where he's unfairly imprisoned and sent to solitary confinement. And, and rather than wasting away, he 
know, does this ridiculous routine of, of calisthenics. And so by the time they let him out, you know, he's, he's transformed into this, this new being who's ready to, in his case, enact revenge. But, but maybe in our case, you know, practice the types of things that are going to, you know, prepare us for, for the rest of life. And also for, you know, whether something like, if something similar to this happens in the future, uh, you know, to, to be on, on solid footing. So, so, you know, I would encourage people to ask three questions during this time along those lines. The first is, who do I want to be? So rather than feeling like a victim of whatever is coming toward us, asking, you know, what do I want to bring to this experience? And asking ourselves, what's the story that I'm telling myself? So questioning the, the assumptions and the fears that we have that, as we were talking about before in a different context, are just predictions. They're not reality, but we can mistake them for reality. And, and then asking ourselves, what needs to be done? Like what, what tasks are in front of me? What can, I, what can I take care of? What kinds of things have I been putting off that I can tackle? And you know, whether or not I'm feeling anxious and stressed, what do I need to do? Focusing our energy there. All of us can channel our inner Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I think that's out, the takeaway. <laughs> come out stronger than we were before. <laughs> right on. Dr. Seth Gillihan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been um, wonderful to hear all these insights and hopefully people can find a little uh, comfort and um, think about different ways to handle their emotions during this challenging time. So thank you. Great talking with you, Carrie. I'm sending love and prayers to everyone out there. Same here. Here's our tweak of the week. Know how to care for your cloth face covering. Now, maybe you've turned some spare fabric, an old bandana, or a concert t-shirt into a modified face mask to wear when you go to the grocery store or the pharmacy. If you have, make sure you wash it regularly. Now, if you can't launder it after each use, then at least wash it daily. Use detergent and hot water. And if you're using a clothes dryer, dry it on high heat as well. And set aside a bin or a bag to keep your used face coverings in until you can wash them. Be sure you don't touch your eyes, nose, or mouth when you take it off. And if you have to reuse one before you can launder it, put it on without touching your face and then wash your hands right away. All right, that's it for this week. We hope everyone is feeling healthy and well and staying safe. Our news team here at WebMD is doing everything they can to stay on top of the latest updates about the coronavirus. You can find their stories on webmd.com. Also, please check out our social media platforms for even more information on COVID-19 and all aspects of health and wellness too. And one last thing here, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you can keep up with all of our latest episodes. With that, we'll talk to you next time.